Hello and welcome to our next Denston Healthy Minds podcast. I hope you're well. I hope you managed to catch our last podcast with Hope Virgo. If you didn't, then it's still available on Spotify and other podcast providers. Today, we speak to Patrick Foster. Patrick is Director of Educational Programmes at Epic Risk Management. He's a former professional cricketer, insurance broker and independent school teacher whose life was torn apart by gambling addiction. Having been driven to the brink by problem gambling, Patrick now shares his journey with young people and their parents who may be experiencing similar difficulties, inspiring them to have the courage and confidence to reach out for help. We're absolutely delighted that Patrick was able to join us and here is the interview. Hi Patrick, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on and uh, looking forward to talking no to you. No problem at all. So I thought we'd just get going by you um, giving us a bit of bit of an introduction to yourself, a bit of background, um, talk about your experiences, if that's okay. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I'm a former professional cricketer. Um, I played professional cricket for Northamptonshire between 2005 and 2007. Uh, I'm also an former insurance broker. Um, and independent school teacher. I taught in, in independent boarding schools for, for seven years. Um, I now work for an organisation called Epic Risk Management. Um, the reason I do that is because throughout the, the three careers that I mentioned previously, um, I suffered from a 13-year-long a pathological gambling addiction, um, which resulted in me transacting just shy of two million pounds worth of bets online probably double that when you take into account casinos betting shops around the uk and around the world having 76 different online accounts 23 different bank and payday loans and quarter of a million pounds worth of gambling debt that i'm spending every day um for the rest of my life paying back um it all came to a head in march 2018 when i got found out which was always a possibility um, and sadly, I saw no way out but to do the unthinkable and, and end my life, which I attempted to do in in March 2018, fortunately unsuccessfully, um, before finally getting the help that I desperately needed, ending up in rehab and, and coming out the other side, um, albeit uh, sort of damaged, but, but um, certainly in, in a lot better place um, now. So, yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Um, and, and why I do what I do now. So the company I work for now, we use our experience, our lived experience to educate people around the dangers and pitfalls of, of gambling and indeed online gaming, um, make people aware of, of the potential consequences, um, raise awareness of the problem uh, in the hope that other people won't go through what we did. Yeah, and there's lots of things you've touched on there, Patrick, which I want to sort of go into a little bit a little bit deeper as we go through things. So if we can just start with the sort of types of gambling um which you which you were involved in. So was it was it in play betting? Was it um sports betting? Was it uh, casinos? What what sort of gambling were you mainly involved in? It's a really interesting question, actually, because my gambling journey coincided with kind of the landscape and nature of gambling changing. So when I first started gambling, I'd, I'd never placed a bet really until I was 19 years old and at university. And 
I started gambling very much in betting shops uh, and I was gambling on sports predominantly, but also playing a lot on fob team machines, fixed odds, betting terminals, playing games like roulette um, on those. But it was almost all in, in shops for probably the first two or three years that I gambled. Then when I moved into London um, in 2010, I, I had a big win, which is often um, the start of people's downfall and certainly was for me. Um, that was in a shop on a football accumulator. But actually what happened then was a lot of that money got moved online. And that's when I started gambling online. Um, and that's when I then started to, to gamble almost exclusively online again still predominantly sports betting and casino games but on a huge number of different markets and and of course then you could start betting in play which just heightened the frequency I did a lot of spread betting towards the end of my gambling journey I, I would bet on anything and everything you name it um, but yeah that that's kind of really how how things moved I, I did a bit of casino betting uh, sort of if and when time and place kind of thing but it, but it wasn't where I, I did the majority of gambling it was kind of on online really um, and that was my big problem was the fact that it was done through my mobile phone anytime any place um, 24 7 really yeah and that was sort of going to be my next question in terms of accessibility really and, and, and you know with the way it is at the moment in terms of that accessibility, did that make things worse for you? You know, if I if I go on Bet365 right now, you know, I could potentially bet on football matches in Ethiopia, Iran, Iraq, Kenya, and I can do that 24 hours a day. Did, did that make things worse for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the exposure and accessibility is obviously unprecedented now. And when it becomes a problem, that is the most difficult thing is that the temptation is always there. It lives in your pocket. Um, and I could do it any time, any place. Um, and as you said, there was, there was always something to do it on. And, and when you've got a problem with it, whilst I might be most interested in football or horse racing, actually when those aren't available, there's something else that you can gamble on. Um, so for me, that, that was the biggest um, issue. Um, throughout this time, I, I was actually... Um, an insomniac um, I couldn't sleep for various different reasons and actually it meant that gambling for me was a 24-7 activity I did quite a lot of it in the middle of the night and as you can imagine I, I discovered anything and everything that you could possibly consider betting on um, because of the time scale that I was doing it if that if I didn't have ha if I wasn't to have had the access through my phone or, or online then I probably would have would have been able to do it less. So, yeah, it played a huge part. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that. I just want to move on slightly. So, at the moment, um, I know you may well be involved in this, actually. There is a review of the gambling apps from 2005. Are you involved in that, Patrick, in, in any way? Yeah, I mean, we, we certainly are indirectly in, in the fact that, in the sense that we'll be um, sort of providing evidence to the review um, to the Gambling Commission about not only our experiences, but what we've discovered through the work that we do. And and that's an, a really important step and, and much needed at the moment, as you said. 
Yeah, and part of that is um, the introduction of affordability checks, I believe, by betting companies. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That will certainly be part of it and an important part of it. Um, this this has probably been overdue um, in the sense that the, the old gambling act isn't really fit for purpose now with the world of online gambling. So hopefully we'll see some some really positive and much needed changes and and I'm a big believer in in kind of affordability. I don't believe that anybody should be able to gamble a pound more than they can afford to lose. Um, and so actually ensuring that people are protected on that level, I think, will be a really important step if, if it's done properly. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And one of the other things is they're looking at um, gambling sponsorship, I believe, on the front of football shirts and advertisements around stadiums. And if you watch football at the moment, the amount of times that you see a betting advert around a stadium on a shirt is on multiple occasions during that 90 minutes, which is incredible, really. And I think, personally, that has that has grown in size quite significantly over the last four or five years. You know, I, I do watch a lot of football personally, and I have seen a real increase in that. I, I think I probably know your answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think that that is having an impact on people in the UK? Do you think that that is having an impact on our young people, potentially, from a betting perspective? Yeah, I do. Um, I think we've probably reached saturation point in terms of kind of advertising both sort of television through um, shirt sponsorships, etc. And I think that's commonly acknowledged now. My main issue with with the sponsorship side of things is that you have to see it from both sides in that gambling brings in a huge amount of sponsorship to these sports that allow it to operate at the level that it does provide sort of broadcasting, etc. all these things that, that we know come with it that are positive, but actually at the moment, the negatives are outweighing the, the positive certainly. And I think, I'll pick up on one of the things that you said there, which is is the bit that I feel most strongly about personally, which is the exposure that young people are getting to it um, in such a way that it, it's just all the time, everywhere you look, you can't get away from it. And, and so I think that's where it needs to be addressed more than anything else is that um, it is normalizing it it's encouraging it and in some ways it is glamorizing it and i think that's where we've got to be really careful with with young people particularly when gambling as an activity or as a form of entertainment is is illegal to young people under the age of 18 or in some cases 16 and yet they're being exposed to it at such a rate that in itself isn't right so something needs to be done and changes need to be made there's no there's no kind of arguing with that yeah and and that's what i really want to move on to now so the selling of loot boxes and in particular if we look at fifa as a game um for example the selling of loot boxes to young people is is surely breaking gambling laws isn't it yeah it's it's very interesting uh that you should say that because again um i think People are starting to to pick up on this, and rightly so, in that actually this isn't necessarily the responsibility of the gambling industry. It's the responsibility of the gaming industry. But actually these these now 
in-play activities, microtransactions, whatever you want to call them, through loot boxes, skins, packs. They are forms of gambling and they need to be viewed in that way. But yet it's a totally unregulated environment, both in terms of time and money. And young people now can can spend infinite amounts of, of money through these games and, and buy buying things like loot boxes, which are in itself addictive. And that is not right at all. I mean, nobody, in my opinion, under the age of 18 should be able to gamble on anything. Um, and, and actually, loot boxes are accessible to people of a very young age. Uh, and so absolutely laws, regulation around that has to change and has to change fast because the the harm it's causing or potential harm is 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 devastating really would you say that the the feeling that you potentially get from buying a loot box and in that loot box is you know a player a world-class player i'm not entirely sure exactly how it works having not played um, on fifa for quite a few years now but is that a similar feeling to what you potentially get if you put a bet on in play and somebody scores a goal? Is that is is that a similar feeling? But it's just younger people rather than older people. Is it is it is it is that similar? Would you would you say? Again, I can't talk like you from experience because I've I've never really <laughs> done it. But yeah, absolutely, I would say it's the exact same thing because it's that whole kind of the the element of unknown, the chance, the feeling that when it goes your way. Um, it, it's very similar, and and we we have a young guy who works for us who, who had some issues, some very serious issues, through gambling, through loot boxes, and and he would say actually, it's exactly the same. It's just what young people are interested in, and and their way of doing it these days. And and I think it's an ever changing world. But actually, one of the things that even in a short space of time since I've been in my recovery, I've realised that gambling's changed now young people don't want to go and play on machines and and play games like roulette and blackjack like i did they want to do it in other ways it doesn't matter how people are doing it they need to be protected um but the issue with with that environment is that a lot of people don't see it as gambling but actually it is and it's it's normalizing that type of behavior and that's what worries me more than anything else um and there's a lot of work to do there around educating young people ab- about that, but also educating parents um, because they've got a part to play in, in awareness. And I sympathise with them because actually it's, it's a different world that they might not know about, but they need to be. Um, and that's really important. So I'm just going to start to break away from the interview um, a few times now. So the conversation started to move on to what we can do from an education point of view for our young people. How can we educate them to show resilience in the face of risk and potentially, as we're talking about today, gambling? And I asked Patrick what he thinks we can do if we have a group of 12, 13-year-old pupils in front of us. What is the best thing? What is the best approach we can take with them to ensure that we educate them um, with regards to gambling and risk. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really, really important. And and the onus and responsibility a lot of the time does fall on them because they're the only ones that really know what they're doing. And 
so therefore, it's important that they're able to to make these decisions. I think the most important thing is giving them an an informed choice, and the only way you can do that is by educating them on the subject by raising awareness by making them aware of it patrick was going on there to talk about informed decisions about risk which i think is hugely important and explaining to young people how to make informed decisions about risk i think is the way forward when when educating with regards to gambling identifying what factors make a risk worth taking and which factors mean a risk is too great is something that's really important to address um, during PSHE lessons or however this is being brought up. It could be an assembly, it could be a presentation. I think also explaining um, what delayed gratification is at this point is a good idea and how this might relate to gambling. Something that I always like to think about with PSHE or educating pupils with regards to these sorts of topics is thinking about competency, how competence is a young person in dealing with these issues these events that may well arrive in their lives at some point. And to do that, they need to think about what knowledge they might need in a situation, what skills do they need to manage that situation, and what attributes or attitudes would help them in the situation. And I think with a lot of topics in PSHE and other areas of a sort of pastoral curriculum, these are the sorts of areas that we need to be addressing. We need to ensure that our young people are competent in dealing with different situations and do they have um, that skill set to deal um, appropriately with different situations that might arise. So we then went on to talk about stigma and how often gambling conversations or conversations in relation to risk and gambling take place within educational establishments and other establishments and whether there still remains a stigma attached to gambling. So we will now rejoin the interview with Patrick. Actually, sadly, I think that from an education point of view and from a school point of view, this is not discussed enough. Um, and, I, and, you know, from a PSHE point of view, there are numerous things that we need to address in our PSHE lessons. And it's a case of time and having that time to have these discussions. But I completely agree that um, gambling is not discussed enough during PSHE time. So I completely agree with that. And that would help in terms of that stigma, I would think. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's something that for a long time, it's an issue that schools possibly have been able to ignore because, I mean, I always say when I do my talks that when I was at school, it wasn't a problem because people couldn't do it. Um, they had to go into a casino or betting shop to do it. They weren't exposed in the same way, but actually it's no longer an issue that, that schools, parents can ignore um, and and actually addressing that uh, and talking about it in the same way that you talk about other addictive substances and behaviours that are just as important is, is the key to that, um, but never kind of negating it. I think the convergence between online gaming or video gaming and gambling is is a much talked about topic at the moment and and means that these these things need to be talked about at a younger age um, and I think it's really important that that happens um, and and that will go a long way to to kind of reducing the stigma as it were no I completely agree with that Patrick 
keep up the good work. Um, it's been really, really enjoyable speaking to you um, this afternoon. I've been absolutely delighted to catch up with you. Um, we're hoping to have you in school later on this year. Hopefully you'll, you'll be in front of us. You'll be in front of the people speaking to them. And we're hoping to see you later on the year, which I, I know you'll be looking forward to, I'm sure. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for, for having me. Um, and yeah, really looking forward to, to my visit to the school as you say, I hope that it can be in person um, and the situation changes and allows us to do that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to be working with you in, in different ways. So thanks for having me. Thanks, Patrick. See you later. No worries. So that's it for another Denston Healthy Minds podcast. Hope you found that informative and helpful. If you'd like to find out more about Epic Risk Management, then you just need to go to epicriskmanagement.com and you'll find out more details about what they do and you can find out more details about Patrick himself. I think it's important to signpost you given the um, content in which we've discussed today. So it's important to know that Gamble Aware provides resources, information, support to keep people safe from gambling harms. And that can be found at www.begambleaware.co.uk. Gamcare gives advice about gambling problems. And that includes a helpline and an online chat service. And that could be found at www.gamcare.org.uk. And also the National Gambling Helpline, which is 0808 Thank you again for listening. We will hopefully see you next time. Once again, if anybody would like to get involved in the podcast, then do contact me on Twitter at CSF underscore wellbeing. I hope you have a good day and we'll see you next time.